I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. My name is John Redmond from First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking about the Trinity. What is the Trinity? What does that mean? Maybe that's a word you've heard of, or maybe you have never heard of the Trinity. And so on today's program, we're going to be thinking about not only what the Trinity is, but what difference does it make in our lives today? And so I hope this program may be a real blessing to you. I want to show you four different events in the Bible, major events, where we see all three members of the Trinity present. And again, you're saying, John, what's the importance of this? Well, I'm going to come back and touch on that at the end. But even now, I want to just stress this to you. The importance to this is, friend, if you are saved, you have in your life God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You have their presence, and you have their ministry in your life. Let's turn back to Matthew. We'll just start there in chapter number 3. This may be the easiest one to illustrate. We're reading here about the baptism of Jesus. And the Bible makes very clear that at Jesus' baptism there in the Jordan River, All three members of the Trinity were present. Certainly Jesus was present. He was being baptized. But so were the other two. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. When Jesus had been baptized, he came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So now we have the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. And the next verse says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So now you have God the Father. Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. God the Father speaking from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. All three members of the Trinity were present at Jesus' baptism. Now, let's go back to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And I want us to see that all three members of the Trinity were present at the creation of the world. I mean, we're going way back to the beginning now. And we're seeing all three members of the Godhead present when the world was made. Genesis chapter 1, we all know verse 1, which says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this reference here to God is a clear reference to the Father, God the Father. But look in verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now watch this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so here we see the Holy Spirit present at creation. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now look down in verse 26. Something very interesting here. In verse 26, the Bible says, then God said... Let us make man in our image. Now, in my Bible, I'm in the New King James, those two pronouns, us and our, are capitalized. Because the New King James capitalizes the pronouns for God. Not all translations do that. New King James does, New American Standard does, most of the others don't. But here it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Who is us and who is our? It's the Godhead. God is talking to the other two members of the Trinity. And he's saying to the Son... 
Jesus. He's saying to the Holy Spirit, let us now make man. Let us make Adam and Eve and let us make them in our image. Now, wait a second. I can understand how the Holy Spirit would have been present at creation, but how in the world is Jesus present at creation thousands of years before he was ever born? Well, remember this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he did not begin there. Jesus has no beginning. He is the ancient of days. He is eternal in the past, just like he will be eternal in the future. Now, let me give you two verses to write down. You don't need to turn to these for time's sake, but write down Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what it says. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Think about what Paul said. He said, you understand this about Jesus? Creation came through him. By him all things were created. Now in Genesis it says God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit was there as part of that. But Paul gives us an insight. He says, you have to understand Jesus is God. In the, he's, he's God too. And Jesus was there at creation and everything came through Jesus. And so in Genesis 1-1, when it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, yes, he did. But he had the Holy Spirit and he had his son Jesus long before he was ever born right there helping him with the creation work. Now, the third event, we've got the baptism of Jesus, the creation of the world. Let's think about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if I wasn't preaching on this today and I just came out here and started this sermon and I said, tell me, who raised Jesus from the dead? Most everybody here would say, well, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And if you said that, you would certainly be right. Go back, go to the book of Acts. Would you mind finding Acts chapter number 5? There are many verses I could read that would make the same point, that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. But I've selected just this one in Acts chapter 5 and in verse number 30. It's a tremendous verse. Peter is preaching. And in verse 29, he says we ought to obey God rather than men. That's good advice for all of us. But in verse 30, notice what Peter says. He says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Peter said, you didn't understand this. You crucified Jesus, but God the Father raised him up. And there are many verses I could show that teach the same thing. God the Father, God the Father, God the Father, the God of our fathers. It's clearly a reference to God the Father raising up Jesus. But turn back, if you would, well, turn to the right to Romans chapter 8. Show you something very interesting. The next book in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Just keep moving right. And we read in Romans 8 that it was the Holy Spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 8 and in verse number 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so Paul said, you need to understand this, it was the Holy Spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead. Well, now, wait a second. Peter said it was God the Father who raised up Jesus. Now, Paul's saying it was the Holy Spirit, and they're both writing into the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit. Who raised up Jesus? God the Father raised him up. The Holy Spirit raised him up. They both had a part in that. Turn back to the Gospel of John, chapter number 2. I'll show you something that is truly fascinating when we think about who raised up Jesus from the dead. In John chapter 2, find verse 19. And I wanted you to be able to look these verses up today instead of me just standing up here reading them to you. I think it'll be good for you to see this. In John 2, in verse 19, 
Jesus is talking now to those who are about to crucify him. And he knew full well what their wicked scheme was. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And so Jesus was saying, I know your plans. I know you're scheming and, 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 and devising a wicked scheme to crucify me. Go ahead and destroy this body. Kill me, Jesus said. Destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. What is Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, here's who's going to raise my body up from the dead. I am. So even with the resurrection of Jesus, you have God the Father, you have the Holy Spirit, and now you have Jesus saying he has such power that he will raise himself up from the dead. You say, how can a dead man raise himself from the dead? Remember this, Jesus was all man, yes, but he was also all God. And when Jesus died on that cross, the only thing that died was the man part of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus didn't die. His body was in that tomb for three days, but Jesus, the Bible said, to the, Jesus said to the thief on the cross who got saved, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So after Jesus' body died, we know that his spirit went to paradise, at least for a little while, to be with the repentant thief. And there's another passage about in the New Testament that leads us to believe that during those three days when Jesus' body was in that grave, that Jesus, his spirit, went down to the underworld, to the part of the underworld below Hades, to where the demonic fallen angels are right now, many of them. Now, some of them are on the loose, but many of them have already been sentenced to a place called Tartarus. And the Scripture says, we're led to believe from this passage, that Jesus went to the underworld and he preached to these fallen angels. Not giving them a chance to be saved, it was too late for that, but saying to them, when you joined forces with Lucifer, when you rebelled against God the Father, and when you were kicked out of heaven, and when you didn't want to bow the knee to God, and when you didn't accept me as the Son of God, and you sure weren't going to worship me, you need to understand. They have crucified my body. My body's in a grave in Jerusalem. They have killed the man, but they couldn't kill God. I'm still alive and I'm still well, and I'm just here to tell you that you chose the wrong side. So Jesus, on that cross, his body died, but the God-man didn't die. Just, so that's why I'm saying Jesus was able to raise himself from the dead. Now, go to John chapter 10. I'll show you another verse where Jesus said the exact same thing. John chapter 10 and in verse 17. Jesus said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may Take it up again. And Jesus said, you didn't understand, I'm God. I can raise my own body from the grave. And in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Now watch this. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So if somebody should ask you, which member of the Trinity raised Jesus from the dead, you should say all three members of the Trinity were involved in the resurrection. Just like all three members were involved in creation, all three members were involved at the baptism of Jesus, all three members of the Trinity raised Jesus from the dead. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus himself raised his own body up from the dead. And so we see there's this, there's this inseparableness. Uh, you cannot separate the members of the Trinity. Now, it's interesting. All through church history, people have used examples to try to illustrate the Trinity. I suppose the most popular has been 
liquid, ice, and steam or vapor coming up off that ice. And people say, well, that's what the Trinity is like. He can be liquid or he can be ice or he can be the vapor coming off the ice, but it's the same water. It's just frozen here, it's liquid here, and it's, it's vapor here. The only problem with that analogy is when the liquid becomes frozen, it's no longer liquid. So see, all illustrate, my favorite, personally, my favorite illustration of the Trinity is an egg. And I'll be honest with you, I was going to bring an egg up here today and hold it up before you. And the only reason I didn't, I was afraid I was going to crack it and mess my suit up. And so I decided to leave that egg at home. But the egg, I think, is the best illustration of the Trinity, although if you push the illustration too far, it breaks down too. What do you have with an egg? You have three parts. One egg, three parts. The outer shell, the egg yolk, and the egg white. You have three different parts of that egg. But it's just one egg. Say, well, how does that analogy break it down? Well, that analogy breaks down. You can crack the shell, and then you can separate the egg yolk from the egg white. There's where it breaks down. Because you can't do that with the Trinity. You can't separate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. See, that's the amazing thing about it. It's unique. You say, well, John, I just don't understand the Trinity. Let me tell you something. I'm up here preaching about it, and I don't understand it either. But I know this. I'm glad to have a God I can't fully understand. Because if I could fully understand everything about God, God wouldn't be any bigger than I am. God wouldn't be any smarter than I am. I'm glad there's a mystery to God. Somebody has said, if you try to figure out the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you may lose your soul. Because if you deny the Trinity, what you would probably say is Jesus is one step less than God. And as we're seeing here today, Jesus is God. He's just God in another form. And Jesus said to those disciples, we'll see this next week in the Sermon on the Holy Spirit. He said, when I get back to my Father in heaven, I'm going to send you a helper of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is Jesus in a different way. He's Jesus. He's a different part of the Godhead. But when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, Jesus doesn't see, stop being the Son, and the Father doesn't stop being the Father. Now, one other thing, you still listen, say amen. One other area where we see all three members of the Godhead present are in the salvation of a human soul. When somebody gets saved, let me just, time's going to get us, but in John chapter 6 in verse 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So you can't get saved without God the Father. First of all, God the Father is the one who came up with the whole idea of the plan of salvation. God devised a plan to offer up his son on the cross to pay for people's sins before Adam and Eve ever sinned in the Garden of Eden. God devised that plan. The old song says, oh, the, the love that drew salvation's plan. Who, who drew salvation's plan? God the Father. Then the song says, oh, the grace. That brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Who brought God's message of salvation down to the earth? Jesus did. And so, in order to be saved, God had to draw up the plan of salvation. God has to speak to the human heart. God has to convict you of your sin. God has to reveal to you, you need Jesus. So you've got to have the Father involved in salvation, but you've got to have the Son. You can't be saved apart from Jesus. Nobody can be saved. The New Testament is clear on that. You can't deny Jesus and be saved, so you have to have Jesus, but you also have to have the Holy Spirit. Let me read you this verse out of John chapter 3. Just write it down. In John chapter 3 and in verse number 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus said, I'm sorry, in verse number 6, he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It is the Spirit 
that comes to live in our hearts, the Spirit working with the Father, convicting us of our sin, revealing our need for Jesus, pointing us to Jesus. See, that's why a person can't say, well, I'm going to get saved on Easter Sunday. I feel something today, but I'm going to put it off and get saved on Easter Sunday. You can't can't get saved like that because, first of all, you don't know you're going to live till Easter Sunday. Second of all, we don't even know the world will be here Easter Sunday. And third, if the world's here and you're here, when you come to church on Easter Sunday, you don't know that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit might be drawing you or not on that particular day. You can't just pick a day out there in the future. Say, I'm going to get saved on that day. It is when the Spirit of God, look back to your own salvation. Who was active in your salvation? God the Father was active, drawing you to Jesus. God the Holy Spirit was active, convicting you of your sin. And Jesus was present, forgiving you, cleansing you, saving you, indwelling you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The reason I say you can't separate the Trinity, what does it say in Colossians 1:27? Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is Christ in me? Is his physical body in me? No, it is his spirit that lives within me. Paul said it in Romans 8. The spirit who raised him from the dead lives in you. So one place Paul says Christ lives in you. Another place he says the Holy Spirit lives in you. How does he say it this way? Because you can't separate the three members of the Trinity. Now, you say, John, that's interesting, all this about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're one. They can't be separated, and yet they're unique. They all have their different roles. But what in the world has this got to do with my life? How is this going to help me in the morning when I get up to go to school or when I get up to go to work? Or how is this going to help me through the rest of this day? Listen, friend, here's how it's going to help you. You need to understand, and and so do I, that as Christians, we, first of all, have the presence and the ministry of God the Father in our lives. There's something about having a father. I can remember when my grandparents started dying. And I remember thinking... Well, I'm losing that layer of protection over me. And now the only umbrella that I have over me are my mom and dad. I was about 19, 20 when my grandparents started dying. And I thought, the only umbrella of protection I have, and, and sometimes I think, well, if, if I outlive my parents, one day I'll lose my umbrella. And who will I go to for counsel? Or who will I go to to, you know, for... Uh, Hopefully not for money at this point. (laughs) But who will I go to to, for advice or just run something by? What happens if I lose my umbrella? Let me tell you something, friend. If you're saved, you can't lose your umbrella because God will always be your father. See, a lot of people don't understand. They say, well, I got saved. I've got Jesus living in my heart. Yeah, you've got Jesus living in your heart. But you, in that moment when you receive Christ, God became your father. What does a good father do? He protects his children and he provides for his children. And all the way to the end of time, all the way till we walk into the gates of heaven, and even throughout eternity, God will be our father. The scripture says a father of the fatherless. Some of you are gathered here today. Your earthly father has already preceded you and is in heaven. And you feel like I've lost my umbrella. No, you haven't. There's a sense in which you lost your human umbrella, but I'm telling you there's a greater umbrella, there's a bigger umbrella, and that is God the Father. And it's important that you understand when you got saved, in that moment, God became your Father. Tell you something else it's important to understand. When you got saved, Jesus Christ became your Savior. In your life, if you're saved, you have the ministry and the presence of Jesus Christ forgiving you of your sins every day. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sins. About the time I think I get to a place where I'm not going to sin anymore, I sin. I do something, say something, think something. There's another sin, and I have to have Jesus cleansing me. And not only does he cleanse me, he's interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25, he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Jesus, right now, while I'm preaching, what's Jesus doing? He's at the right hand of the Father praying for me. He's saying, God, help John. He's probably saying, God, help John to finish this sermon, land this plane. But he's praying for me, and he's praying for you. 
And not only do I have Jesus forgiving me, cleansing me, and interceding for me, I have the Spirit of God in my, and I'm going to preach a whole sermon next Sunday on the ministry. What does the Holy Spirit do in our life? I'll give you the short of it right now. He convicts us of our sins. He comforts us in our sadness and in our sorrows and our difficulties in life. He guides us in life. He reminds us of scriptures that we've learned that we need to reapply to a situation. I'll tell you the great thing the Holy Spirit does for me. He assures me that I am truly saved, that my sins are forgiven, and that I'm on my way to heaven when I die. Romans 8, 16. His Spirit bears witness with my spirit. That we're children of God. And it does. I'm up here preaching right now. And in my heart, I can't describe it, but I'm experiencing it. And friend, the best way to understand the Trinity is not to try to understand it. It's to experience experience God as Father. To experience Jesus as Savior. And to experience the Spirit of God living in the Spirit of God right now. is bearing witness with my spirit that I am truly saved. I have a peace in my heart. Peace like a river flowing in my heart. How do I know I'm saved? Two, a lot of ways. Two ways first. Primarily, number one, the Bible tells me so. The assurance of my salvation is not based on my feelings. My feelings are up and down. The assurance of my salvation is based on the objective and errant word of God that says all who call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. I have and I am. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved. I do and I am. So my first assurance is the word of God. My second assurance is more subjective. It's the Holy Spirit living in me. It is His Spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God, that all is well with me. And if I were to meet an atheist in the commons after this service, and he explained to me why he didn't believe in God, and he explained to me why he thought the Bible was true, and he explained to me why the Big Bang Theory is more substantial than the creation account in Scripture, he could say whatever he wanted to say. Let me tell you something. His arguments could not silence the Holy Spirit's voice in me saying, John, don't pay attention to that. You belong to me. His Spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. You know, this morning before I left my house to come to church, I had breakfast. Had a bowl of oatmeal. I had half a banana. And I had a handful of vanilla wafers because I felt like I need some energy up here today. I need some sugar. And I drank some orange juice and some water. That's my breakfast. Now, you could come up to me after the service and say, John, I think you're lying. I don't believe you ate oatmeal and a half a banana and vanilla wafers and orange juice. I just don't believe that's what you had for breakfast. Let me tell you something. I don't care what you say. I have the witness within me. I have the vanilla wafers in me saying, preach on. I have, I have the oatmeal saying, this is, this is a complex carb. You have long-term energy. I ha- See what I'm saying to you? If you're saved in the Holy Spirit, you have His Spirit bearing witness to your spirit. Don't be afraid of some smart-sounding atheist who's got all his arguments We're not, listen, a Christian with the indwelling Christ, a Christian with a genuine salvation testimony is never at the mercy of a skeptic with an argument. Argue on. I know who's living in me. Jesus is. His spirit is bearing witness with my spirit that I belong to him. It's not audible. But it's in my heart. Even now, it's in my heart. It's the Holy Spirit saying, oh, John, yes, you belong to me. Yes, you've been saved. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you're going to heaven when you die. Yes, 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 you've got nothing to worry about. That's God's Spirit bearing witness with my spirit. And I'm asking you today, it's His Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. I mean, as we come to the close of this sermon, it's just one of two things. Either His Spirit is doing for you what His Spirit is doing for me, or else... His Spirit is doing something different in you. His Spirit is convicting you. His Spirit is saying what that man's been saying for the last half hour is right. What God's Word said is true. You need Jesus. 
You need to confess your sins. You need to be saved. You need to receive Christ. That's the Holy Spirit convicting. All across this room right now, the Holy Spirit is either bearing witness with our spirits that we're saved, or He's convicting others that they're not saved, and they need to get saved right now. Well, I don't know where you might be today listening to this program, but I know this. God's Holy Spirit is either assuring you that you're truly saved and that you belong to Him, or He's convicting you that you need to get that settled. And so today, if you feel something in you saying, I want to know for sure that I'm saved, that my sins are forgiven, just pray this prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. In your name I pray. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, God has heard it. He has saved you. And I want to say congratulations to you.